Hey y'all, this is D-Rock. This is Cam. And this is The, the Heartbeat. Heartbeat. On today's episode, we're joined by friend of the pod, Jonathan Harding, and special guest host, Liz Ferrari. Jonathan is an assistant attorney general for the state of Connecticut, as well as the commissioner of Hartford Planning and Zoning, and a member of the Noah Webster Micro Society Magnet Schools, SGC, their school governance council. We're going to ask him about a whole range of topics from what he loves about Hartford and his hopes for his future to the newly passed recreational marijuana legislation. It's important that we note up front that all of the opinions, statements, and jokes that Jonathan makes on today's episode are his alone and do not reflect the thoughts and opinions of any organization with which he is affiliated. So without further ado, enjoy our interview with Jonathan Harding. What's up, man? What's going on? Everything. (laughs) All right, so we're here this week with our good friend Jonathan Harding. He is Assistant Attorney General for the State of Connecticut. And we're also joined by our good friend Liz Ferrari, who's going to be guest hosting with us today. Welcome, Liz. Hi. It's good to be back. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Great. Fabulous. (laughs) So, Jonathan, as the question generally begins here on The Heartbeat, what is your Peter Parker origin story? My Peter Parker origin story. So, we're going all the way back to the origin. Way back. Yeah, way back. Yeah, spiders, Uncle Ben, the whole thing. Got it. So, (laughs) originally, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I moved to Naugatuck, Connecticut when I was about three, um, and pretty much lived and grew up in Naugatuck, Connecticut. Um, Went to Naugatuck High, went to college at Boston College, Mm -hmm. lived in Boston for five years, uh, then moved back here to Connecticut for law school, Uh, moved to Hartford for that reason, and uh, I never left. Fabulous. Put down roots here. Um, It was a weird transition coming back to Connecticut, especially Hartford, going from a major city to what is a large town, was a was a weird transition, and was sort of rough for the first couple of months. Mm-hmm. And then over the years, it actually became a huge, huge asset um, for a place to live for me. Um, <laughs> Boston was not a city I could have ever really gotten involved with or get to know people. And the thing about Hartford that I love the most is just, you know, this, you know, getting to know people in a small community. Um, wherever you go, you run into someone. Um, Wait, like the Philadelphia airport? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. So one of the fun stories for everybody listening at home is that I was traveling back from Philly, um, what was it, a month ago, month or so ago, and I had, was in a, a flight, a little puddle hopper to come back to Hartford, and I'm sitting there staring at my phone, and all of a sudden, Somebody just walks right up to me with their hand out and goes, hi. And I'm like, oh, my God, I know you. We're not in Hartford. What is this nonsense? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really funny, right? Because if we lived in a big city, we probably would have never met. We would just be random people passing by each other in an airport. Right. Um, and it's just amazing when you run into people that you get to know in a small town. You get to know so many people so intimately where you wouldn't get to know them either. Also, that was the smallest airplane I've ever been on in my entire life, by the way. It was, yeah. It was tiny, and the fact that I was able to origami my five foot ten self into it was a miracle <laughs> in and of itself. Origami. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's how I got to Hartford and put down roots. We just bought a house two years ago that I've been working on, and have no intention of leaving anytime soon. Fantastic. That's awesome. So, how did you get into law? I mean, that's what brought you to Hartford, but what? How did, how did that end up being your trajectory? It, it's tough. I think about it a lot, and I'm sure my, my 
understanding of how I ended up practicing law has probably changed over the years. I think when I was younger, it always just seemed like a really noble profession, right? You know, people, oh, you should become a doctor, you should do this, you should do that. Um, I think after going to law school, I think I better understood how important the law is, whether it's for legislative work or resolving conflicts between people or even just understanding government and why things are the way they are, I think, um, has shaped my view on the importance of law in any society. Um, and for me, it changed. I mean, when I was at law school, I thought I was going to do business, transactional laws, and do like mergers and acquisitions stuff that seemed sexy, you know? Um, and when I graduated, there was no work for that. And I bounced around doing a bunch of different stuff, doc review, doing PI work, personal injury work, document review, and worked for a small practice for a little while, then also did some real estate work. And then I landed at the AG's office doing, um, well, I interned at the AG's office while I was at law school, and I kept in touch with some contacts over there, um, and was given an opportunity to work at the AG's office doing collections and child support work, which seemed terrible, you know, on the surface of things, and was really hard. You know, it was a little um, high volume work, you know, there's no sex appeal to taking money from people or chasing down child support in which everyone hates you, right? Single parents hate you because you're not doing enough. You know, the non-custodial parent hates you because you're taking their money away. Um, and now I do environmental work. And so hmm. I think it's changed a lot. And I think because it's changed a lot for me, I'm okay with expecting continuing evolution from what I want from the legal practice. Like it wouldn't bother me to start in a new field five to 10 years from now. And I actually think that's one of the cool things about the law. Yeah. So that's a long way of saying, I'm not really sure. I think I started out wanting to go to law school for the wrong reasons and sort of have been growing along the way. Oh. I think that's fair. Nice. That's a fantastic yeah. evolution. That's the way to do it. Nice. So now one of the things that you brought up in the beginning is the sense of community and sort of like that being the most, that being the most important part of Hartford. So what is, what do you want to see um, for Hartford as we move forward? Like as you're talking about sort of those evolutions and as we go through post-COVID changes and sort of the city's in a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so what do you see? What do you want? What do you hope? I mean, I think from a 10,000 foot view of it, I think we can resolve a lot of the negativity around Hartford by really tackling issues. You know, this is sort of a simplified version of tackling issues of crime and poverty, right? Um, which would elevate the public perception of the city of Hartford. Obviously, getting there is a far more complicated <laughs> endeavor, to say the least. Um, but I think, I think doing those two things would elevate a sense of pride for the city of Hartford that I've come to really love. And it always bums me out when I meet people who've lived here their whole lives that don't share that sense of excitement. And Unfortunately, it's because many of them haven't had the same opportunities or have had some really horrific experiences in years past. Um, and I've been you know, pretty fortunate to, to not have many of those experiences. And I always sort of have to remind myself of that when I'm always looking at Hartford through rose-colored glasses. But not everyone else has the same experience um, of Hartford and, and they're viewing it through a different prism of past experiences that I don't always share. So, so what are some projects that you all are working on down at the AG's office to address some of these issues that you're excited about and that you see potential in and um, make you hopeful for the future of Hartford? Sure. So uh, let me take a step back in order to answer that question. So in addition to working at the AG's office, doing environmental work, 
I'm also a commissioner on the Planning and Zoning Commission here in the City of Hartford, and I'm also a member of the School Governance Council at Noah Webster Micro Society Magnet School, which is up the road for me. Um, so, so for from from an AG's perspective, doing environmental work for the state, it's really uh, it's hit or miss. Sometimes you have matters that touch on Hartford. Sometimes you have matters that don't. Um, I mean, I think I. Full disclosure, you know, I don't speak for the AG's office or oh, know, yeah, the right, city of right, Hartford right, or any of that. Absolutely. These the opinions that I'm speaking now are mine and mine alone. And I will note that I'm not working on any matters that have to deal with, you know, Mira or Trust Energy or any of that stuff. But there will be, you know, projects like that that there have already been fights in the past that um, the state does intersect with um, with the city of Hartford on yeah. environmental issues. And some of those will touch on development one day in the you know, not too distant future. Yeah, well, in terms of environmental and a lot of things, I know um, some people have been talking about the Kirkland development and trying to get that into um, a, a new workable sort of space and, and the conversion from the trash, like, plant and what to do with that. So with zoning and things like that, um, what do you, where do you see um, some of the things, I've certainly brought up zoning as an issue for developing Hartford and the way that we ought to move forward. So as somebody that's on the zoning board, what do you want to be able to see that would sort of open up, I think, a lot of opportunity in Hartford? Yeah, we'll see. That that entire neighborhood is actually a very, um, it's a very interesting one, and it's one that we listed in our most recent uh, plan of conservation and development as a transformational neighborhood. Because, again, I don't work on any of these matters. I don't know what the future of that plant is or the future of Brainerd Airport, but those are two locations that are really the only direct access to the river that may in the near future have the opportunity to be completely developed and it would be a scale of development that the city has probably never seen before. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge, it's a huge swath of land. Yeah. Um, you know, there are other issues with, you know, what do we do with that being that it's still going to be abutting other industrial areas what kind of contamination and other issues we find there. There's a whole bunch of other issues, but I think that there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of people that are, that are drawing visions and are having fantasies about what that community could be. And we'll see, time will tell. Yeah, well certainly with the varying 91 and Levy project, because that all ties in together, that ends up being a huge, like you said, development on a scale that Hartford has never seen before. And so shout out real quick to our uh, our painter friend Kyle here, who you could probably hear in the background a second ago. <laughs> Sorry guys. Sorry. Right. That carries. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Kyle. Oh God. So where were we? Uh, so we were just talking about zoning. Um, so you know, education is a really huge part of lifting up Hartford too. So it's exciting that you're on the board of the Noah Webster uh, Magnet School. School Governance Council. Sorry, School Governance Council. Yeah. yeah. Um, I had a, I had I'm a sorry, there, for, for folks that don't know, like yeah, me, yeah, yeah. what are that? So the <laughs> School Governance Councils were set up a while ago as um, a way of having, what's the word, um, community decision making in the finances for educational purposes. So. You have PTAs and PTOs, which do something different and broader in terms of dealing with 
school programming and interacting with teachers and what people like to see. The school governance councils were really set up primarily to address finances, which is how should schools spend their money and how should parents and members of the community get a seat at the table to talk about how money should be spent in their schools. Obviously, given the financial condition that Hartford is in, one of the frustrating things being on school governance council is there isn't a whole lot of flexibility, right? There, it's not as if Hartford schools have, hey, we just have an extra hundred thousand dollars this year. What should we do with it? Mm -hmm. You know, we don't get to make a lot of those decisions. Um, most of the decisions that are made are really hard decisions, um, and the principal, you know, Gus Jacobson, and all mm -hmm. the staff over there are great at making hard decisions to, to have the best possible outcomes huh. for kids at the school. Awesome. Now, was that part of um, the Chef O'Neill ruling? Because I know that there was a lot of school governance that went in after that in the mid-90s. You know, that's a good question. Because I want to... It could be part of the... Or, the origin could also be part of that, I, and I don't recall, and I probably should. Yeah. The other thing, actually, in education that I may... I don't know if I'll bug you more about this on the podcast or later, is the amount of money that we spend sending kids out of Hartford and the amount of money that we spend paying West Hartford to have those yeah. kids shipped in. Yeah, yeah. Because I think when you look at the school budget, it's it's the biggest it's it's the biggest chunk of Hartford's budget by ten times, arguably. And and to continue to see both the acceleration of the magnet schools and then the failure of the community schools in such stark contrast, um, you know, really becomes part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, and I'm not disparaging anyone. I think everyone had the best possible intentions for Hartford's kids in the forefront. But unfortunately, sort of redeveloping a school system through litigation is not, it's not ideal, right? Nope. Um, it's, it's funny, when I was doing child support work, you know, there were a couple really good judges um, that would always say to people, you know, I don't want you to have a contested divorce, right? Because I don't know you and I don't know your kids and I don't want to be making decisions for your kids. So it's better off that you sit down in a room and make those decisions. And unfortunately, when you have someone else making decisions, even if it's years of litigation and, and lots of hands on deck, at the end of the day, you're bringing in other decision makers that may not understand what the long-term consequences are of that litigation. And unfortunately, one of them has been that we have invested a ton of money in our schools uh, on a per capita basis. And unfortunately, it has resulted at times in, in minority kids not getting to go to school at those bright, shiny new investments. Um, how we fix that, how do we, you know, how do we fix that? I don't know the answer to that, but but it, it certainly is a problem and something that, you know, on the school governance council, granted, we don't, the right, board of ed controls, board the, you know, all of that, but it's certainly something we talk about, um, especially, you know, in the West End is sort of a, is also a very different neighborhood, right? I mean, you have the most affluent communities um, that are more diverse and you have, folks from all around the city that would love to send their kids to know Webster and it's very sad sometimes and you find out that it's actually in some respects harder for them to send their kids to the best schools given that some seats are being reserved for suburban students you know and and listen I'm not disparaging suburban students I'm I'm happy that there are suburban parents that don't simply watch the news and have all of these horrible things to think about Hartford and they're like yeah I'll send my kid to Hartford schools um, so I'm not disparaging those parents at all, but it does have an unintended consequence of, of um, uh, making it harder for Hartford for Hartford kids to get get seats at brand new shining schools. I mean, it is it's a reality. Um, so.
All right. I know you're working on a, a particular bill as well, correct? So uh, cannabis bill. So the state, the General Assembly passed the cannabis bill mm -hmm. recently. Um, one of the very unique things about the cannabis bill is that it leaves a tremendous amount of power to local planning and zoning uh, commissions to facilitate the act or the bill, which is um, it's peculiar. Um, and as a commissioner on planning and zoning, it has become at the forefront of pretty much all of our conversations. Even when we have commission meetings now, even if we have no action items on the agenda, we mm -hmm. still meet to discuss moving forward on implementing, um, I guess, implementing our cannabis regs to facilitate the state bill. So one of the big things that held that legislation up and getting passed was the requirement that um, that communities that have been um, over-policed based on marijuana will have the first right of grow and that kind of legislation. And that that hung everybody up on a long time and ended up actually getting cut out of the bill, um, leaving the big pharma to sort of develop a lot of that product. Um, so now, is that something with planning and zoning, do you think that was maybe a measure so that local zoning could sort of be more mindful of local small businesses versus sort of just acquiescing automatically to Pfizer because, you know, they're here? Sure. So my understanding, and like all legislation, big bills go out and then people sort of reinterpret what they meant when they, when they wrote the bill. But my understanding is that there still is going to be a social equity board at that the General Assembly is going to put together in coordination with the governor, I believe, and that there will still be social equity applicants that will get um, first dibs on this process. Um, that, how, do I, how will that process go? Of it, yeah. No idea. I mean, it, it's so new. I mean, I think the social equity board just was finalized like in the last mm. couple of weeks yeah. um, when I mean everyone's trying to get things done as quickly as possible and I think they're moving rapidly which is great and also terrifying because everyone is sort of planning for um, a process that is sort of being built as we go um, but but my understanding is that the, there is a social equity board that will consider the um, the social equity component of new applicants for licenses. That's my understanding. Okay. Um, so for us, as a planning and zoning commission, the primary things that we have the right to regulate are things like hours of operation, where they can be located. Um, I think there's a little flexibility on signage issues, um, but it's very unorthodox to have a planning and zoning commission deciding things like hours of operation for a business operating with a state license, you know, things like that, um, and where they'll go and everything else. So the, the Planning and Zoning Commission has a lot of work to do, and we've just sort of started this process recently, and we're trying to do it as rapidly as possible, because applications are going to start rolling in, I think, in the next couple weeks. Wow, and while that we, fast. Yeah, very yeah. fast. And while, because everything is so new for everyone, it's unlikely it's unlikely that people are going to start coming to Hartford with a license from the state in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. We have to plan for the possibility that the process may actually work that quickly. Right. And we have to be ready with regs in place. Um, you know, or, or do what some other towns and municipalities have done, which is to pass a moratorium basically banning all cannabis businesses in the city as a 
temporary measure to get regs in place to avoid the chaos of having people show up with licenses from the state and the regs aren't ready. Um, Because there's there's basically a there's a stopgap provision in the bill that basically says that if if municipalities don't get their regs in order in time, then it will automatically revert to local liquor um, store laws within our um, within our. so that way they can't just yeah. stall it and then leave it. Yeah. And then That's what I thought it was going to be anyways. <laughs> I thought it was going to be in that vein well, of... it can be. But right. again, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be. I mean, right. there are... And we're not doing this. I'm, I'm just saying right. for the sake of like an extreme example, right? I mean, we could approve a, a cannabis retail store next to an elementary school, right? I mean, that's how like <laughs> wide open it is. That there isn't... We have a tremendous amount of flexibility um and it's like i said it's a little unnerving um but we're working through the process as fast as we can yeah it's a lot of responsibility to have yeah and it's it's you know i was speaking with one of our delegates from the house of representatives um and he was telling me you know during the cannabis bill um negotiations that he was surprised that there were a lot of people in hartford that do have very conservative views on cannabis and so we have to be sensitive to those issues because not everyone has, again, the same experiences, especially when we're talking about neighborhoods that have been overly policed for cannab- cannabis-related issues for generations. You know, that sort of sticks in sort of the, um, the DNA of a community that, especially for older folks and more conservative folks, they're like, well, no, cannabis is bad, right? And then... Now, Nancy Reagan was right. You know, and you have other people that are like... The madness of no, reefer. This is, this is great. Why is everyone having, you know, such a hard time with this? So for us, as members of the commission, we have to, like, weigh all of that. One, having regs that actually work and make sense and don't conflict. And two, also reflect the, the mores and the views of our community, right? We serve the city of Hartford, and we have an obligation to listen to everyone about where they think this should fit in our society. Right. And then on that, um, with at the federal level, with banking, sure. be, just like so, we, we we watched OnlyFans lose. They're essentially going to drop a lot of their content creators, and a lot of people are no longer going to be able to safely make a living doing sex work um, once OnlyFans kicks them off in October because they had so much pressure. On was it their MasterCard? Partners. No, it was. It's all a banking, banking because yeah. prostitution yeah. is because of, because of the way that because it's all sex all sex sells is bad, mm-hmm. right? Instead of creating you know like a spectrum that makes sense um, for literally the oldest profession. But yeah, and and so banking ends up being an issue. And it's the same thing because marijuana is federally illegal. You can't bank on it because okay. pornography because sex work is federally illegal and, and you know internationally. Illegal, you can't bank on it, like literally bank yeah. on yeah. it. So that creates some of the problems. So Biden's administration has sort of talked about, but how much, how much of a difference do you think that would make in the ease of getting everything up and running if it was federally legal, so that the banking issue was sort of whatever? I think if the banking issue went away, it would make things much easier, right? I mean, even just from a uh, barriers to entry point of view again going back to sort of the social equity component I mean how many people do you have that are coming from economically disadvantaged neighborhoods who are actually impacted by the war on drugs 
that are going to be able to self-fund a marijuana production facility without, like, you know, federally backed loans. Um, I don't know. Um, I haven't tried, so I, <laughs> but I assume it would be difficult. Um, so I, I don't know what the future holds for that. I, I, and you, you may more know more about this than I do, actually, but I think... I don't know what state it is, but I want to say that there have been states that have basically supported this process through allowing um, some sort of state banking mechanism to make it easier. Oh, I actually um, don't know about that. I, don't I will have to look into that. Or maybe that's just something that's being contemplated. Is it? Okay. Okay. Um, it's D.C. So that's huge, right? Because there has to be a, a, a backup yeah. without... Um, being able to rely at all on any federally uh, backed banking institution. I mean, I remember in the early days of, of cannabis out in Colorado, you know, I remember watching documentaries and you, I don't know if you've ever been to like Cabela's and they have like the huge fire rated gun safes that are like 8 million pounds and you'd have these cannabis production facilities that would have like a dozen safes like that on the back wall because they had to pay vendors in cash, they had to pay staff in cash, they had to pay fine ways to pay you, like, you know, it was almost like you had to become a money launderer just to operate a legitimate business, you know, yeah. um, so, so we definitely don't want to see that happen and I don't know what the short-term solutions for that are. Does anybody know, I'm sitting here listening, this is a great conversation and learning, um, does anybody know what's going to happen with criminal records for folks that's been, you know, locked up, I know back in the day I got people that was locked up because of weed. Yeah, my understanding is that there will be, I think it's automatic pardons for a certain time period, and then anything older than that you can apply, and it will be pretty liberally, you'll be liberally granted a pardon for any, I can't remember the time period, but it's something like, I want to say it goes back to like 2000-ish, and then anything prior to that you can Because um, that would help for a lot of people I know out. Yeah. yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be huge um, for a lot of folks that have been living with, you know, the stain of a, of, of a felony cannabis conviction in their teenage years. Right. The, the hard part, the frustrating part is you can't undo the damage that's been done, right? Yeah. I mean, you right. can't you can't give someone back 6 months or 6 years of their liberty, right? You can't you can't give them back 6 years of a resume they haven't been able to build because of that conviction. Um, and that's sort of the tough part. I mean, I think all of the stakeholders have worked really hard to negotiate something really difficult that was able to get passed. But at the end of the day, it doesn't undo the damage that the war on drugs have done for cannabis convictions. Mm. It just doesn't. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for joining us today, John. This has been a really enlightening conversation. Um, you know, we try to wrap up every, every interview with three questions. Um, so the first one is, what's your favorite thing about Hartford? I think I touched upon it a bit earlier, and I think it was the biggest negative when I first moved to Hartford was its size, and honestly, it's been the biggest plus for me is the fact that it is, again, I consider it a large town, um, and it's great. I mean, we're 18 square miles. I think we have a population of like 140,000 people, which is tiny by um, every standard, yeah. every standard of, of an <laughs> urban center, and, uh, and that's actually the most charming part about it. All right, and if there was one thing you could change about Hartford, what would that be? If there was one thing I could change about Hartford, it would be if we could, if we could flatten the mill rate without 
bankrupting the city. Uh, if, that's that would be really the most transformative thing Hartford could do. Is if well, we, you and me in the zoning committee will talk about all those blight communities. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say something about the potholes, but you know, yep. yeah, that's different. Um, yeah, so hidden gems within Hartford that you would like the the audience to know about. What doesn't get enough attention? Mm. Yeah, it's tough. I, I don't know. I mean, I think. Real Artways probably doesn't get as much attention as it deserves. Okay. Um, That's the second time. Okay. Yeah. My, mm. you know, I it's closed now. COVID sort of sucks. Mm. Um, really? But uh, <laughs> I used to love. Didn't notice. In two twenty eight was one of my favorite like quiet places to, like go and have a yeah. conversation and a nice glass of wine. Yeah. Um, RIP. Yeah. They, they closed. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Early on, really yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, there was there was hope of coming back, but that. That died pretty quickly. Yeah. So real art ways, 56 Arbor Street, I want to say, right? Yep. Arbor Street. Yeah. yeah. So sad to see Fiddleheads leaving. Um, yeah. yeah. Heartbreaking. Definitely. Um, do love to sane spigot. Where else do I go? It, it depends. It depends my mood. I might stop in Tangiers for some lunch or, mm -hmm. or what have you. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's also, you know, there are other spots, Half Door, that I love, although I haven't been there as much anymore. That was definitely a law school spot for sure. I don't know if it still, does it still have a law school vibe during? It's here. It's, it's speaking This is the new yeah. law yeah. school spot? This is the new law school spot. So, yeah, so those are, those are my primary spots now. I mean, I used to go to Braza a lot back in the day. Oh, yeah. That was a bummer, um, their departure and the fact that the building is still there and, and vacant. vacant. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. I don't yeah. think I left you a choice, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you accepted my demands. Accepted. Your, uh, your getaway yeah. chapter is sitting outside. Yeah. You're good. So. All right. We enjoyed thanks it, for man. Me. Thanks. Well, that was an awesome chat with Jonathan. I can't believe the Columbusing of the seats for Harvard Magnet Schools. Yeah, and it's certainly good to know that there's still some social justice measures being attempted in the new marijuana legislation. We will have to keep an eye on that, though, to make sure it doesn't go the way of the Civilian Review Board for Hartford PD. I'm still completely blown away by how much responsibility is foisted on the municipalities to manage the implementation of recreational marijuana. You know, well, everything. Yeah, and he is certainly right about how close and cool our community is. We were very lucky to have had him on the pod today. And now we're going to check in with Liz with the weekly events. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Liz coming to you with the week's events in Hartford. Starting off tomorrow, Wednesday, September 1st, we have the Hartford Athletic playing the Charleston Battery starting at 7 down by the Colt Factory. On Thursday, 706 Union Ave, one of our very cool blue bands, will be playing at Parkville Market starting at 7 p.m. And Thursday through Saturday, Pratt is hosting live music throughout the weekend. So go down, check out the retail stores, check out the restaurants, and all of the different things going on. Saturday, starting at 4 p.m., is Black Art Heels at Camorra's Cultural Corner, 
and the Connecticut Historical Society is offering free entrance. So go check it out, do some things, heal yourself, learn something new. And then a little bit of advance notice for my nerds, because I know how much you like that. The 9th through the 11th is Kineticon. So go down, check it out, get your cosplay ready, have a good time, wear your mask, and get vaccinated. And then next Saturday is also Hartford Pride with an after party at Shea. So I will see you folks out and about. Enjoy it. Have fun. Stay safe. Bye. Until next time, I'm D-Rock. This is Cam. And you've been listening to The Heartbeat. Heartbeat.